Welcome back to the OU Shnai Mikra series and our study of Parshat Vayera. This is Menachem Liptag. In today's year, we study Ravi, the fourth Aliyah, beginning in Perik Yutet, Pasuk of Aleph, chapter 19, verse 21. As happens often, this Aliyah begins in the middle of a conversation. Aliyahs don't always end at the completion of the story. Sometimes they leave you hanging in the middle of a conversation. In my own opinion, I think this is a great tool that Chazal used to keep the listener in shul, listening to the Torah reading, keeping him in a bit of suspense, looking forward to how the story is going to continue. So recall from the last Pasuk of the last Aliyah, Lod had asked permission from the angel, please save me from running away to the mountain range. Instead, let me go to the city nearby, save that city for my sake. And now our Aliyah begins with the angel's positive answer to that request. Vayomari love, the angel said to Lot, Hinei nasati panacha, I'm answering your request. Gam even for this thing. And therefore, I'm not going to destroy that specific city that you asked. That city later will be called Tsoar. Quickly run away there. I can't do anything. I can't continue my destruction of the other cities of the Kikar, including Stom and Amorah, until you go to that city. Therefore, that city was called Tsoar because in the last Pasuk, in Lot's request, he said, Because of Lot's request, the city now gets its name, Tzor. There's a beautiful Rashi on Pasach Habet explaining why the angels are unable to do anything, why he says, I can't do anything, and this is in contrast to what they said earlier in Pasach Gimbal when they told Lot, We're going to destroy the city. Rashi quotes a Midrash, with a very important educational message that the Malachim should have said because God is destroying the city, because they took the credit themselves, now they find themselves in a position where they have to say that they're unable to do something. As usual, Rashi will quote a Midrash to explain an apparent problem in Pshat of a Pasuk, but he'll choose a Midrash that carries a very beautiful educational message. Pasuk Chav Hashemesh Yetza'ala The sun had risen up over the land, and Lot makes it to Tzor, and now it's time to finish the destruction of stone. Pasach Avdalad. V'adunai himtir al stone ve'al amora gofrit ve'esh me'et adunai min ha'shamayim. How does God destroy these cities? He brings rain of fire and brimstone, and that's where the popular saying comes from, from God, from heaven. The verb l'hamtir, in English, that would refer to precipitation. Whenever something comes from heaven to earth, that's referred to as matar. Usually it's rain. However, later in Perak Zayn, Pasak Dalad, in Sefer Shmot, when God brings the man to the people in the desert, there also it says, Vashem himtir lechem min hashamayim. God brings bread from heaven. Any action of something coming from heaven to earth is referred to as matar. Here, we're emphasizing that this punishment is coming directly from God. Therefore, Chumash uses the verb lahamtir to explain how stone is destroyed. We also noted in earlier Shiorim, but in the beginning of chapter 2 of Breshit, as God is about to create Gan Eden, there are two things missing that don't allow things to grow. One is, Hashem had not yet brought Matar on the land, and there was no man to work the field. That's in Perik Bet in Breshit, Pasuk Hay. What's beautiful about those two elements that are missing for things to grow is Matar relates to the connection between heaven and earth. Adam, who Rashi explains is needed to pray for the rain, he represents the connection between earth and heaven. The only two things in creation that connect heaven and earth, one is the matar, where something from Shemaim comes down to earth, the other is man, 
where man created from earth can elevate himself and go to Shemaim. Pasach verse 25, He turned over these cities and the entire plain and the entire Jordan Valley and pay attention, the word Ha'el here does not mean of God, it means these. He turned over these cities. All the inhabitants of those cities and all the vegetation on the ground. As they're running away and going to the city of Tsar, Lot's wife turned around. And behold, she turned into a pillar of salt. This is the famous story of Lot's wife. Rashi quotes a beautiful Midrash explaining because she was from stone, she had the attribute of being very mean and cruel to guests and not wanting guests at all. And she wasn't even willing to lend salt to people. Therefore, punishment is that she turns into a pillar of salt. There's another very interesting explanation brought down by Chizkuni that this Pasek is not referring to Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt, but rather the cities of the Kikar turning into salt. In other words, Lot's wife turned around and she saw that all the land had turned into a pillar of salt. If you take a look at the Chizkuni, Notice how he quotes Rashi, and afterwards he quotes this other opinion, which is very interesting, saying, Avram got up the next morning, the same place where he was standing before, before the angels left, when he had his conversation in regard to the destruction of stone. The next morning he gets up, and he takes a look over the area of Sdom and Amorah and the whole land of the plain. And behold, he saw a pillar of smoke rising up from the Dead Sea area, just like the smoke that comes up from a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed these cities of the plain. God remembered Abraham. This Pasuk is now a summary of what happened. God sent Lot out from that destruction. When God turned over those cities that Lot was living in, God remembered Abraham and his conversation with Abraham that surely he would not allow a tzaddik to be destroyed together with the Rashaim. Therefore, he saves Lot because Lot was a tzaddik and saves him from that destruction. Lot decides not to remain in Tzohar anymore. Instead, it seems like he's hiding out, pretty much running away from society, leaving the area of stone, but not all the way up the mountain range, up to Hebron. Therefore, he dwells now in the mountain, together with his two daughters, because he was afraid to remain in the city of Tsar. Instead, he decides to live in a cave, together with his two daughters. The older daughter said to the younger daughter, Our father is getting old. Because we're hiding away in this cave, they realize there's no man in the land who will be able to marry them. Because there's no chance we'll ever have children from a regular husband, let's get our father drunk, we'll sleep with him, in that manner we'll be able to keep the seed of our father alive. Just like we find in the laws of Ibum, there's a very strong value in ancient times that a person should never die without leaving at least one descendant behind. That evening, they got their father drunk. The older daughter slept with her father. And Lot, the father, did not realize what was happening. And when he fell asleep and when he woke up, he was totally unaware of this event. On the next day, 
the older daughter told the younger daughter, Last night, it was my turn to sleep with our father. Let's do the same thing tonight. Let's get our father drunk again. And it's your turn to sleep with him in order that we keep the seed of our father alive. Therefore, that evening, they also got the father drunk once again. This time, the younger one got up and slept with him. And again, Lot was totally unaware of what happened. Both of Lot's daughters conceived children from their father. The eldest gave birth to a son. She called her son Moav, Mi'av, from the father. He is the father of the nation of Moav at the time when the Torah is written, when Amisrael is coming out of Egypt. The youngest daughter, she also gave birth to a son. She called her son, the son of my family, or the son of my people. And he is the forefather of the nation of Ammon to this day, again, the day that Am Yisrael is receiving the Torah, when they come out of Egypt, hundreds of years later, when the Torah is being written, this explains to the people where Ammon and Moab are coming from. It's very interesting that David Melech, on the one hand, from the mother's side, is a descendant of Moab and the story of Lot and his daughters. On the other side, he's a descendant of Yehuda. He's a descendant of Peretz and the whole story of Yehuda and Tamar. The deeper meaning of this is beyond the scope of our study of Shnai Mikra, but something that's worth paying attention to. We begin now chapter 20. After these events of what happened in Stone and the city being turned over, Avram leaves the area of Hebron and moves now to the area of the Negev, to the southern part of Israel. He dwelled between the cities of Kadesh and Shur and chose the area of Grar, the city of Grar, to live in. This is a city located somewhere between Beersheba and Azah. There's two different reasons that Rashi brings down to explain why Avram decided to move, both relating to the destruction of stone. One on more of a personal level, because Avram was so embarrassed about Lot's behavior, especially about Ammon and Moab, he wants to disassociate himself. Therefore, he moves far away from where Lot is. The other reason relates back to the theme of why Avram moved to Elonei Mamre in the first place, and that was in order to make a name for God. Avram always tried to choose places where there are a lot of travelers in order that he can spread God's name. Now that Stome and the cities of the plain are destroyed, there's much less commerce and travel from that area from there to Hebron. Therefore, he moves to another area which may have more travelers, the road between Az and Beersheba, also along an ancient highway. Therefore, he picks that area in order to continue his mission of making a name for God. Pasuk Bet. When he comes to a new city, Avram goes back to what he did before. He's afraid they're going to take his wife. Therefore, he says about Sarah that she's my sister. Avimelech seems to like Sarah, and therefore, Avimelech, the king of Grar, sends and takes Sarah from Abraham to bring her to his palace. God comes to Avimelech in a dream that night, and he tells him, God in a prophetic dream tells Avimelech, this lady that you're about to sleep with, you're going to die if you touch her because she's married. Pasuk Dalad, Avimelech lo Avimelech did not come close to her. Vayomar, and he says to God, Adonai, ha'goygam tzadik tarog, would you kill the leader of an innocent nation even though he's righteous and did nothing wrong? Halahu amar liachotihi, he told me she was his sister. 
And she also agreed that he's my brother. It was with an innocent heart and clean hands that I did this. God answers Avimelech back in this prophetic dream. I understand that you did this with an innocent heart. Therefore, I protected you from sinning to me because I realized you had a misunderstanding. Therefore, I didn't allow you to touch her. And now, return Sarah to her husband because he is a Navi. Because he's a prophet and has a special connection to God, he will pray on your behalf and you'll stay alive. If you don't give her back to Abraham, da no kimot tamut, you're going to die. Not only you, you and everything you have. It seems like God's threat was not just about Avimelech, but Avimelech and his entire nation. As he said before, Why would Avimelech's entire nation be responsible? We'll see why soon in Avram's response. Avimelech got up in the morning. He called all the servants. He told all of his men about this prophetic dream, how God had appeared to him about taking Sarah, and all of his men became very fearful. Now Avimelech summons Abraham to try to explain to him what happened. Avimelech now challenges Avram and says, what did I do to you? What's my sin that you almost brought upon me and my kingdom, this terrible sin? You've done things that shouldn't be done. Avimelech says again now to Abraham, emphasizing his point, What were you thinking? What did you see? What was your havamina, as they would say, for doing such a thing? Now Avraham is going to explain the whole background. What was Avram thinking? There's no fear of God in this place, and he was afraid that they would kill him because of his wife. We'll return to this phrase, Yirat Elohim, very soon. And now Avram's going to say, I really wasn't lying. She indeed is my relative, because she's my sister through my father, even though she's not the daughter of my mother. And I took her as a wife. In Chazal, the simple explanation of what happened goes back to what we saw earlier about the death of Haran. Recall that Terach had three sons, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran, their brother, passed away, leaving three children, Milcah, Iskah, and Lot. We know that Nahor married Milcah, who later gave birth to Betuel. Lot was adopted by Avram Avinu and was almost like a son to him. But what happened now to Iskah? If Nahor took Milcah for a wife, it only makes sense that Avram would take Iskah for a wife. Therefore, Chazal say that Iskah is simply Sarah. And therefore, Avram's not lying when saying that she's my relative. And this seems to have been a very common practice. If a daughter lost her father and had no one to take care of her, the people to take care of her would be the uncles. And once you're taking care of a niece, the uncle would take care of his nieces by marrying them. And now Avram is going to explain what his policy was whenever he traveled. And Avram explains now, when God commanded me to wander from the house of my father, that's the beginning of, that's the beginning of Parshat Lech Lecha, where God told Avram Avinu to leave Ur Kazdim and travel towards the land of Canaan. And I said to her, This is your kindness that you will do on my behalf. 
Asher Navo Shama, any city that we come to, Imrili Achihu, just tell them he's my brother. Avram's assumption was that the cities of Canaan that he's traveling in, that their behavior is corrupt. And if there's a woman that people in the city would like, and if they would know that she was married to somebody, in order to take the wife, they would kill the husband and take the wife. This type of behavior, which we would call nowadays immoral behavior, is referred to throughout Sefer Breshit and also in Sefer Shmot as Yirat Elohim. Yirat Elohim doesn't mean the fear of God, the God of Israel, the one and only God who created heavens and earth. There's a more universal concept of God, which here Elohim refers to, which we would say nowadays, the man doesn't have the fear of God in him at all. That's not talking about the God of Israel. That's talking about God in general. What we would refer to nowadays as natural morality. We'll see later on in Pasha Miketz, when Yosef is doing everything to hide his identity from his brothers, and, and he puts all ten brothers in jail, and first he decides to leave them all in jail and only send one back. Later he has to change of mind, telling his brothers, I'm going to be nice to you, and only keep one in jail and send the rest of you back. He introduces that comment. Sefer Breshid, Perek Membet, Pasuk Yudchet, I have the fear of God in me. If saying I fear God is referring to the God of Israel, then that would blow Yosef's cover. Yosef is acting like an anjou. Then he tells his brothers, pretending not to be Yosef, he tells them, I'm a just and moral man, and he makes that point by saying, Et Elohim In the beginning of Sefer Shemot, we also find how the midwives giving birth to the Jewish children even though they're commanded by Pharaoh to kill all the baby boys, they don't listen to that command. There it says, The midwives had the fear of God in them and therefore didn't do what the king of Egypt said. And the best example is from the story of Amalek, as recorded in Sefer Dvarim at the end of chapter 25, in the commandment to remember what Amalek did to us coming out of Egypt. That behavior of an enemy attacking the weak and unprotected, that Chumash refers to as, They did not have the fear of God in them, God does not expect Amalek to believe in the God of Israel. However, he does expect that all mankind keep to the most basic ideas of natural morality, which an obvious example would be taking advantage of people unprotected and weak or killing a man to take his wife. Now to encourage Abraham that he would pray properly on behalf of Avimelech, Pasuk Yedalad, Vayikach Avimelech tzonu vakar ve'avadimu shfachot ve'itain Abraham. Avimelech now gives Abraham a gift of cattle and sheep and servants, and maidservants, and he gives them to Abraham. Together with that present, he also gives him back his wife Sarah. Avimelech tells Abraham as follows, My land is in front of you. Pick any good area of the land that you wish, and you can settle down there. Avimelech was so impressed by his prophetic dream that God had intervened on Avram's behalf, he wants to make sure that Avram gets the best treatment possible within his kingdom. Behold, I've given a thousand talents of silver to your brother. Notice he calls her her brother. A very difficult Pasuk to translate. One direction is, Avimelech is giving her a type of a veil to cover her eyes, proof, so everyone would know that she's married. This might have been an ancient custom to show that someone is married. Or as the classic commentators explain, He's explaining to Sarah that this money that he's giving Abraham is in order to cover up the mistreatment that he'd possibly done to Sarah. In lieu of this present, in Pasuk Yitzayin, by Pelel Avraham El Elohim, Avraham prays now to God, In response to Avraham's prayer, God now healed Avimelech and his wife and all of his maidservants, and once again they were able to give birth 
the next Pasik explains what the background for this was. Pasik Yitchet, Ki Atzor Atzar Adonai Ba'ad Kol Rechem Lebeit Abimelech, because God had held back all the wombs of everyone in the house of Abimelech, Advar Sarah Ishet Avraham. Now that Sarah was returned, God healed them and they were able to have children once again. At the conclusion of this story, the obvious question arises, why does Chumash bother to tell us about this encounter between Avraham and Avimelech? We'll deal with this question in much more detail when we study the sixth Taliyah, where we find another encounter between Avraham and Avimelech. But for the sake of today's shir, I would just like to point out that there's a contrast between the evil nature of the society in Stom and the evil nature of the society in Gerar. In relation to Avraham Avinu, there's no doubt that Stom is evil and corrupt, and Avraham's behavior of Achnas is in total contrast to the corrupt behavior of the society in Stom. However, in contrast to Stom, the people in Grar are definitely not as evil. And it could be, Avram had every right to assume that there's no fear of God in the society of Grar, and they might kill him. Hence, there was a need for him to tell Sarah not to tell the truth about the fact that she was married. However, at the end of that story, when it becomes apparent that the people did not have such evil intentions, it's important for Avram Avinu to recognize that he had made a mistake about how evil the people in that community were, and hence, he's able to continue to have a positive relationship with that society. We can also learn from that story about how God took care of our forefathers because of his promise of Brit Ben Tarin. We mention that every day in the opening section of Sukkot Zimra when we recite Hodu. And there we say, They went from nation to nation and kingdom to kingdom. God did not allow anyone to harm our forefathers. He even yelled at kings about him, saying, Clearly, that Pasuk in Tehilim is referring to this event that we just studied in the encounter between Abraham and Avimelech. Therefore, the story definitely teaches us how God watches over His people. It can also be forecasting the complex nature of our relationship with other nations. Again, we'll discuss this when we study the sixth Taliyah. Now we begin chapter 21 in the Torah reading for the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Now we pick up the previous story that God had promised to give Sarah a child. And God did for Sarah as he had told Avraham. Sarah conceived a child and gave birth to a son to Avraham in his old age. Just at the time, within the year, as God had spoken to Avraham back in Perak Yitzayin. As God had instructed him in chapter 17, Avraham called the name of his son who Sarah gave birth to, he named that son Yitzchak. Therefore, Abraham circumcises his son Yitzchak when he's eight days old, just as God commanded him back in chapter 17 when he first got the news that Sarah would have a child and his name would be Yitzchak. This story will continue in the next Aliyah in tomorrow's share.